The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. Hopefully, uh, we'll send you away with a little uh, inspiration today. Um, I, I mentioned earlier in the show, um, remembering the uh, the affirmations of uh, comedian... Um, I'll shoot his name just... just flew right out of my mind um al franken when he was on saturday night live but uh a different collection of affirmations uh, is available in a new book that uh, has combined uh, poems prayers and meditations that can support you through any trial and something you can carry with you wherever you go it's written by reverend maggie omen shannon and uh, it's called Have Hope. And Maggie joins us by phone. Hi, Maggie. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Um, do you by chance remember those Al Franken? Uh, I do. I'm just old enough to remember them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to age you, Maggie. But I, but I, I was saying that this this idea of sharing affirmations and inspiration with people has been around a long time and it it's what what prompted you to think it was time to put this collection together and put it out there for people yeah that's an interesting question um and and i'm i'm laughing about the old uh, piece cuz i just posted on my facebook page that um 
there, there was a picture of Mickey Dolenz and Michael Nesbeth from the Monkees. Yeah, and they I, both have white hair, and I and I thought, oh my gosh, that does age me because I was. They were my first record. That was the first album that I ever bought. And um, that's and it's funny you mentioned them because uh, I've seen that I've seen several posts of the two of them because they're touring. They're going to be in Detroit in oh, November. Oh, is that right? And yeah. they're going to be playing some of the old Monkees classics. And uh, Mickey Dolenz has been on the show. No kidding. Yeah. Well, he was my favorite. So I, I had just finished a post talking about how old I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or felt when I saw that picture. But to answer your question, um, Half Hope is a book idea that I had for 20... 24 years, my, my very first book came out in 1997, and it was called Prayers for Healing, and it was a very inclusive collection, again, of poems, prayers, meditations on different aspects of healing. And for some reason, right around that time, you know, I first um, pitched this idea in 1998 as a follow-up to Prayers for Healing uh, to do a very similar book on hope. And at that time, there just wasn't the interest in it. And so I, you know, put some of the things that I'd collected away. I pitched it again, I think, uh, right when Obama, President Obama took office, because, of course, he ran on this idea of hope. Again, it wasn't um, of interest. I, I pitched it after this um, horrific year in 2020 that we all collectively had, and it was snapped right up, like, yes, <laughs> you know, this is, this is the book for our time. So I find it, I find it really interesting that um, – one, there was something about this idea that I just would not give up on. I mean, you'd think after 20 years I would just throw my files away, but I <laughs> really wanted to do this book. And it, it really felt, as I was working on it at the um, end of last year and, and beginning of this year, like it was so necessary for our times that, you know, that's what gets us through uh, the darkest of times. And since we all collectively had just had one, uh, it feels very timely to me. And and I think it is, and I, I'm actually kind of um, skeptical about about how traumatic the, the pandemic has been for most people. I mean, there are people, obviously, who've been sick themselves, very sick, and there are people who have lost people. Um, but when you think of the the things, the coping mechanisms that we've had, um, how is it that, that people are still feeling anxiety to the degree that, that makes a book like yours so timely when we had, you know, people could work from home using Zoom and we have telephones and radio and television and you know all of these things that they didn't have say for example when people were locked down during the uh, uh, the Spanish flu back in, in 1918 through 20. Right well I, I can speak as a congregational minister because I, I serve a church uh, a unity church in San Francisco so I can speak for uh, probably uh, most, if not all, ministers uh, by saying that from that perspective, we saw, you know, we saw a lot of the angst that maybe um, 
uh, people in other professions weren't seeing because it wasn't just the pandemic. It was also the racial unrest, you know, what happened yeah. uh, after the, you know, just um, shockingly tragic uh, experience in Minneapolis with George Floyd. Yeah, which which uh, happened a year ago tomorrow. Uh, is that right? It's the anniversary. Yeah. So there was that going on. There was the election unrest, you know, where, um, you know, depending on what side of uh, the aisle uh, you're, uh, the people you voted for uh, you are mean there on. Was, there it, was some question was, about the election? <laughs> I believe there was, <laughs> and still is, unfortunately. Um, but uh, that, I think, really shook up people. At least I'll speak for myself. It, it definitely uh, shook me up because I'm uh, old enough, as, as we opened with that, uh, to have never conceived that the kinds of things that we were seeing politically would happen. It, it just... Well, certainly not what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. Exactly. Exactly. Which I included in the book. You know, I felt like that was such a, um, you know, such a um, important date for the zeitgeist. I mean, again, it, it, I'm sure you have listeners who feel different ways, but for all of us, um, that was that was a that was a turning point or that was a lightning rod point where um we were just seeing something that had never happened before and, and i i want to ask you this I, and i didn't mention in the introduction and maybe i should have that you are an ordained unity minister and spiritual director workshop and retreat facilitator author of six books i, I didn't want to put the Put all that into the introduction because I wanted to get right to talking with you. But, um, but what could you explain to me what a, a unity minister is? Sure, and I've got I've got to uh, update that bio. I actually have hope is my ninth book, and oh. I was ordained first as a an interfaith minister, um, and I actually did that through a program uh, in Manhattan called One Spirit Interfaith uh, Seminary. And uh, so I was ordained first as an interfaith minister, and then as a unity minister in 2014. And unity, you know, it's it's interesting, Tom, that you were talking about affirmations and brought up Al. Because uh, <laughs> affirmations are a very important part of unity teachings, and it is a denomination that uh, is uniquely American. It came about in the late 19th century. Uh, unity was founded by a couple named Charles and Myrtle Fillmore. And, you know, the quick version of the story is that they had used, they were part of a wider spiritual circle that included Mary Baker Eddy, who founded Christian Science, um, and, uh, you know, the man who founded uh, Religious Science. And they were interested in spiritual healing. And the quick version is that Myrtle, uh, through her spiritual studies, was able to heal herself of tuberculosis. And this was so shocking because at the time that was really a death sentence and it made her husband kind of, you know, sit up straight and he started doing his own experiments. And basically it started as an educational 
program. They just wanted to share the information that they had personally experienced and had no intention of starting a church. But so many people were interested in the material that they began to ordain teachers, ministers, uh, to help spread, you know, spread the word. And um, it became, uh, you know, headquartered in outside of Kansas City, Missouri, and now there are churches all over the world. And it's a very inclusive uh, theology that honors, um, you know, really everybody's right to choose a spiritual path. And, um they, the Fillmores, went to the very first Parliament of the World Religions, uh, which was in Chicago, I think, in 1894. And I always loved that particular piece, that they were so open-minded at that time that they would want to study other world religions, which I don't think a lot of people from the Midwest were doing. Um, but at any rate, uh, to answer your question, it is a denomination, a formal denomination at this point, but it also uh, is very inclusive. And many people have been, um, you know, buoyed and helped by its teachings because it does focus on um, really looking at what what is right and beautiful, you know, good, true, and beautiful in our world. You were um, you were in Manhattan. How'd you end up in San Francisco? Yeah, I, I should say that I went through the distance program, so I was actually serving my same church um, at that time. And uh, uh, one spirit offered a a uh, distance program that just made me uh, come for intensives in the summer, which was really nice. We had a place um, on the Hudson River where we would do that. I've been in San Francisco for 25 years now, 26 years now, um, and it was my dream come true. I had lived all over the country, and I was in uh, Indianapolis in um, 1994, and wanted to be here with all my heart. And it was this urgent feeling, like, I have to come to San Francisco or I'm going to die. I mean, it felt so urgent. It felt like I must be there. And I was able to find a job that moved me 2,000 miles to um, San Francisco. And all my dreams have come true in this place. So it really, you know, whatever urge that was, it really um, did lead me to a place where I got married, I became a mother, I had my books published, I uh, became a minister. Uh, everything that uh, I had hoped and dreamed for for my life has come true here in San Francisco. So this, this is my home. And when you talk about um interfaith and and now uh unity um is that does that embrace people from multiple religious disciplines it does it it absolutely does you know there there is a teaching that has christian roots um and that is um focused on to greater and lesser degrees depending on the unity church that you happen to attend but it's very open armed very open minded and very open armed uh in in terms of uh embracing different spiritual teachings you know i want i want to uh dig down on that a little bit more before we start talking about some of the uh 
affirmations in the uh, in the book and uh, the book is called have hope it's uh, written by reverend maggie omen shannon am i saying that right maggie you are yeah you got it right on the bat that's great good because <laughs> i'm usually pretty terrible with names but maggie i have to take a break here can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more you bet. I'd be happy to. All right. Uh, my guest is uh, Reverend Maggie Oman Shannon, and she is the author of a book called Have Hope. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well, and we'll be right back. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. 
Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now my conversation with uh, the author of a collection of poems, prayers, and inspirational quotes called Have Hope. She is uh, Reverend uh, Maggie Oman Shannon, and uh, she joins me by phone. Maggie, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no worries. You actually have very entertaining commercials. (laughs) I enjoyed listening to them. (laughs) Well, good, good. I'm glad. Um, I want to get back to something we were talking about just before the break, which was the idea that um, um, your intention with this book and and as as an ordained unity minister is to be very open-armed to a lot of... uh, different religious disciplines and um, uh, backgrounds uh, with people. And I, I wanted to bring that up because of a book you wrote called One God and the conversation that I had the last hour with um, a Muslim American who had written a book called uh, Demystifying Sharia. Mm-hmm. And in our conversation, um, she said that, you know, she really believes that... that um, this this whole variety of of global religions for the most part are all um praying to and and praising one god um is is that how you look at it it is absolutely how i look at it and that's um you know part of a Litany, if unity has litanies, um, that we say every Sunday that, you know, that we're, we're all one. And, you know, one of the reasons I became an ordained interfaith minister is because it felt like a very pioneering thing to do. You know, we've just seen in the last, um, 20 years, I mean, we, we've seen it throughout history, but especially it feels in the last 20 years, you know, hopefully we're getting it that we need to um, learn about each other and we need to tolerate, um, if not embrace each other. And we're seeing this not only in the areas of religion, but in, you know, politics. And we just... Um, you know, finding the common ground is and everyday that, and everyday life and everyday life exactly. You know, we so saw a th- lot of um, anti Middle East sentiment in the wake of uh, September 11th, yeah. and and then you know after this uh, pandemic took hold, we've seen anti Asian sentiment um, right. rear its ugly head. And you mentioned in the last segment the the George Floyd killing and and how that impacted all of us and and we mentioned uh, um, 
the the last election and the uh, insurgency on the U.S. Capitol on January sixth, and and clearly, um, something has to happen. Yeah, I think so, and that that's why I I personally really loved working on this book. I mean, I I feel extremely. Um, I don't know if proud is the right word, but I know how meaningful it was to me to work on this book and to go back through history to find dates in history um, that were hopeful and to find uh, quotations from different religions, different periods in time, uh, different uh, sexes, obviously, different um, uh, uh, political affiliations, uh, to see what the commonality was or what some of the commonalities were regarding uh, the subject of hope. And it gave me hope. You know, we, we need hope in order to survive. If we don't have hope that uh, we can make things different, then, um, you know, we're kind of sunk. And uh, that's that's the hope with this book is that people will will find things in there to inspire them to not only keep going, but maybe to create uh, things for the future that will help to build a better world. Well, let, let me let me just point out that the book uh, has um, a collection of 365 poems, prayers, and meditations, literally daily affirmations for every occasion. Um, is it is it laid out like like those word calendars I get, I get where there's a different word for every day and um, or or can you look for a particular subject? You know that's a really good question. I don't I I don't have a copy of the actual book um, in my hand because it hasn't officially been released yet. So I can't tell you if there's an index or not. I don't think there is in terms of being able to look up a particular. I, I've got the PDF in front of me. I I can scroll through the back and see if they put in an index. But what they what people will find is that yes, for every single day. Uh, there's a hopeful event, a hopeful event in history listed, and then there is a quotation for that day which um, relates to that hopeful date in history in some form or fashion. It doesn't look like there is an index. Um, so, so one can flip through uh, the book and get a clue as to you know, subject matter by looking at the events that are um, there for each day. So, so for instance, me just um, flipping through uh, randomly um, on October 21st, American inventor Thomas Edison created the light light bulb, and then the quotation for that day is, let the light of hope always enlighten your soul. So um, in some form or fashion, whether the, uh, if the quotation refers to a particular individual, and I used a quotation from that individual, or if, or if I'm sort of riff, riffing off the um, event of that day, people will find something for every, pretty much every concern. And um, it was it was really an interesting thing to work on because it was like a giant puzzle because I wanted to 
there were two two intentions I had for myself. You know, one obviously is I wanted to make it um, uh, pertain to to everyone, so I wanted to include every conceivable voice possible. But I also was kind of intrigued by um, a you know including a hopeful date for 365 days a year, and using quotations that used the word hope. And those two things kind of boxed me in a little bit, but it felt like a great puzzle piece, you know, you, as you were sort of um, saying in the in the preface to this question, um, the, to put them all together. It felt like, oh, this is so interesting how how these can all relate to each other. And so as, a, as an author, I'm not always quite as... Um, engaged you know in the in the process of of putting something together but this this was uh really inspiring for me to put together so i i hope that people will also find it inspiring as they read through it how did you and and it's 365 sounds like a lot and it is a lot and there are a lot of events and and quotes and prayers and poems um but yet, human history has a lot more than 365 of these things. How did you pick this particular grouping? Well, it it really was, um, you know, I in in my former life before I became a minister, I was an editor, and so I've always looked at material from. Uh, that kind of holistic perspective of an editor, like, is this going to be repetitious? Have I, you know, done this <laughs> subject before, used this person before, or um, is, is this a long one, and so now it needs to be balanced with a short one? So, it, so it's the sort of, you know, macro vision uh, when I when I was putting it together. But um, I was led by the quotations themselves um, primarily. I mean, I've, I, I did ask for volunteers on social media if they knew of any particular hopeful events that they thought should be included and and that might get me started in a, in a few places but generally speaking you know as i mentioned at the beginning i've had this file of hope quotes that i've been carrying around for 25 years and and uh, so i would dip into those i would anything that had the word hope i would put on a um, in an uh, online file or not online but you know computer file um, many books on hope. Certainly had some thoughts about hope. So it's, yeah, it, it had a lot of different um, uh, ways in which I addressed the material. Well, I've always been fascinated by the road not taken, and and so I'm. When there's a collection <laughs> like this, I'm curious about, you know, what didn't make the cut. <laughs> right, right. Oh, there's so much that didn't make the cut. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, there are so many uh, quotations on hope that you could find, and and again, I held myself pretty rigidly to finding quotations about hope that actually use the word hope. You can find many uh, collections that um, just have sort of happy or or hopeful affirmations, but but don't necessarily use the word hope. But one of the reasons I wanted to do that uh, was because I thought it would be interesting for people to 
learn about that word, you know, that by seeing how different people had actually approached that actual word of hope, uh, we could also glean uh, ideas as to what it is or how we can cultivate it. So uh, that was one way in which it may be distinguished from other uh, collections that say they're, you know, hopeful. And does someone have to be devout to appreciate affirmations? I don't think so at all. I, I think affirmations are something that, you know, just touch the human heart. And uh, you can believe or not believe, but uh, we all need, uh, we all need a sense of hope, right, to, uh, to carry on. So for me, you know, some of these uh, come from spiritual sources, but I would say actually the vast majority do not. Um, again, just kind of flipping through with the manuscript open before me, I mean, here's one from and Frank, Bruce Lipton, who's a, a current biologist and author, Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Carlyle. Here's one from Joe. Then there's Dean Kuntz, Alex Haley, uh, Marie Curie, um, uh, Pliny the Elder, Ancient Roman, Nietzsche, Shakespeare. <laughs> so it's it's uh, Harvey Milk, James Audubon. So and that's just me flipping through five pages. So, um, yeah, it's it's a very... Catholic with a small C um, collection. It, there, there's something from everybody and something for everybody. And um, now when does the book come out? It's officially released on June 15th. Okay. And uh, I, I imagine that people could probably pre-order in the usual places. They can. Yep, they sure can. Um, how different was it getting this book put together and out during the pandemic? Well, I had more time to work on it <laughs> than I might have otherwise. Um, but I also, as I, you know, kind of touched on a little bit, I I also felt a real involvement in this material because, you know, um, being a minister is an interesting profession, and, and you know, we're, we're human like everybody else is, and I was dealing with my own stuff. You know, I was dealing with my own feelings of, you know, fear, um, horror, uh, fatigue, and yet my professional role is to be a source of strength and hope for other people. So, uh, you know, in some ways it was me being able to keep myself bolstered by uh, looking at these different quotes and searching out for for how people throughout um, other terrible times in history, or or at least demanding times in history, have uh, kept their vision and their hope alive. So, in many ways, it was um, uh, you know medicine for me to have this project precisely at this time when so many of us were struggling, if not physically, um, emotionally and mentally. You know what's what's interesting? I, I've talked to a number of people who um, refer to the fear and anxiety that people have been experiencing over the last year and a half. Some from the pandemic, some from 
racial and political factors. Um, but the, the thing that sticks out in my mind and the thing that has haunted me the most during the pandemic is a sense of loneliness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't hear that, that being talked about as much as, as some other things. No, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, many people were kind of shut in uh, by themselves, and I think it was really tough and, and you know, just kind of heartbreaking to, to hear stories of, um, you know, I live with my husband and my daughter and, and two cats, you know, so I had outlets for affection, but, um, you know, thinking about people who live alone and weren't able to have any human touch, not a hug, you know, for months on end, um, it, it is kind of heartbreaking to know how hard that was for people. Yeah, and I don't, I don't live alone, but I'm used to being out and mingling with people and, and that, that sense of being cut off from people, um, even, even though, and, and, I, and I don't mean to, to whine or complain because I really have had it pretty well. I, you know, I had moved my studio to my home a couple of months before the pandemic shut down and I, I you know, do every day what I was going to be doing anyway. Um, you know, so I, and, you know, I'm, of course I've put on a few COVID pounds, but that's subject for another (laughs) show. Yeah, didn't Um, we all? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do wonder about how difficult it must have been for people a hundred years ago trying to deal with the same sort of being separated from the world. Um, during the, the Spanish flu. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I and, and this, as you said, may be part of a, a longer, different conversation, but, you know, it's an interesting question to wonder, too, like the fact that so many of us are uh, online, like did that help with the isolation or did that kind of make it worse? I, I, I don't know, because 100 years ago, people obviously didn't have the Internet or telephone. Maybe they had telephone. I can't remember. But um, but by and large, I, I these- don't think in 1918 there would have been a phone in everyone's home. Right, yeah. So, so there was a different experience and sometimes I think the internet can lead to a sense of isolation you know if you feel like everybody on social media is having a better life than you are or <laughs> you know or, or depending on what um, you know news channel you you uh, happen to partake of you know you're going to have different views of what's actually happening in the country and you know there there are different ways in which I think that connectivity um, could create a sense of uh, isolation itself but like i said that's probably a different conversation but a very interesting uh thing to think it's, about it's funny you said that because i i have a friend who jokes whenever he's uh frustrated about something he'll he'll say why is my life so much tougher than everybody else's <laughs> yeah yeah exactly social media is not always our friend <laughs> no that's true that's true and we've certainly learned that um maggie i we're 
we just have a few minutes left, but I always want to give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future, not just with regard to this book, but do you have a website? I do have a website, and it's my name, uh, and Omen is spelled O-M-A-N. So it's Maggie Omen with an A, Shannon.com. And you have, uh, I'm sure, uh, links and synopsis about uh, your other nine books. I do. Half, Half Hope is my ninth book, and uh, yeah, there, there's information about the, the previous um, eight, all of which I would say fall under a general umbrella of um, interfaith, spiritual practice, uh, prayer, um, and then the last three, interestingly, sort of looked at creativity and spirituality, because that's a big passion of mine. So um, Really? Oh, we should have started talking about creativity a while ago because that's uh, a big passion of mine. I'm always curious as to whether it can be learned. Interesting. Well, my personal philosophy is that we're all creative, just as we're all inherently spiritual, and it's up to us to develop those inherent uh, impulses. But I, I believe that everybody has the seeds of creativity within them. And uh, sure, technique can be developed and learned, but um, we're all creative. And let's see, you have, um, you were ordained as a unity minister in 2014. That's right. So it, that wasn't that, that long ago. Um, were you a minister before that? I, um, <clears throat> I've had a really interesting career, but I started as a magazine editor. I always wanted to be <laughs> a writer, and I started as a magazine editor, and then I kind of shifted into nonprofit work when I was in my mid-30s, and that's what got me out here to San Francisco. And then, um, yeah, I became a spiritual director in uh, 1999-2000, then I became a coach, was on my own for a while, and then felt a call to serve this church that I still serve. So I'm in my 12th year as a congregational minister and find that, you know, all my previous interests like writing and um, marketing and uh, nonprofit work obviously come come to play uh, in my current job. So well, it's interesting. That is... Uh that is great. And thanks so much for uh, spending this time with me this morning, Maggie. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Oh, it's been completely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And um, continue the great work. It sounds like you have a wonderful show just bringing in uh, diverse guests and having these great conversations. And I was, I was very happy I got to be part of one. Well, thanks again. And um, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks so much. You too. Take care. That was uh, Reverend Maggie Oman Shannon, the author of uh, Have Hope, a life-changing collection of 365 poems, prayers, and meditations that can support you through any trial and that you can carry with you wherever you go. And uh, we're going to be taking a short break. We're going to let our broadcast partners at uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, our Voices Radio, uh, squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are uh, 
a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions, and my friend Paul Herring. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, uh, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll have uh, more after we take a, a short break. We'll have the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. And um, if, uh, if you miss an interview or if you come in late in an interview and you want to hear the whole interview, the show does repeat online all day until the next new show. But um, you can always go to the archives on our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and search through and uh, find some of the interviews. They're all listed there uh, by date and the hour. So feel free to browse that you know, if you, if you have time. In the meantime, we'll be uh, taking a short break and we'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places. So be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them, in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, 
where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. And where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County. Where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. This day will go down in history as precedent-shattering. John Bickerson is smiling. Despite the lateness of the hour, the fact that he has had perhaps the hardest day of his life at the office, John Bickerson is smiling. Why? Tell us, John. Two weeks vacation with pay. Wait till I tell Blanche, brother, how I've longed for this. I'll sew myself into the bedsheets and sleep for ten days. John? Hello, Blanche. How is my beautiful wife? What? Would you like me to bring you a glass of milk and a cookie? And here's a little present for you. You look wonderful, honey. Oh, this is awful. What's the matter? This morning I burned my hand on the stove. I ripped my only pair of nylons. My inlay fell out, and now you come home drunk. What are you talking about? I'm not drunk and you know it. Then why are you so nice to me? What's the use? When I come home tired, can't smile, she beefs. When I come home and try to be pleasant, she accuses me. Put out the lights. You're not going to bed with your shoes on. Yes, I am. I work like a horse. I might as well sleep like a horse. Why did you bring me a present? What have you been up to, John? Bring his wife a present. Oh, stop it. A husband doesn't bring his wife a present unless he's done something wrong. I've brought you a million presents and I've never done anything wrong. Never. Not since the day I married you. I wish you'd let me sleep. Sure. Sleep. That's the easiest way out when you've got a guilty conscience. Blanche, I tell you, I haven't got a guilty conscience. Then why did you buy me an expensive present? It isn't an expensive present. It's the crummiest present I could find. I could believe that, all right. What is it? Why don't you open it and see? I bet you've gone and thrown away your money on some stupid thing I can't even use. Oh, you can use it fine. A home beauty outfit. It's got everything, just what you need. Wrinkle cream, freckle remover, hair darkener, false eyelashes, chin reducing strap, 
What kind of a present do you call this? What are you hinting at? How did I know what was in it? Nobody would use this but a homely woman. Oh, that's not true. All women use it. They do not. Only the homely ones, and I wouldn't touch it. The sales girl in the drugstore said she uses it all the time, and she's not half as homely as you are. What? I mean, you're just as pretty. And that's just about what happened. You walked into a drugstore, saw a pretty face, and didn't know what you were buying. I didn't look at her face at all. If you were going to buy me a present, why didn't you buy me something I could use? Why didn't you get me an ounce of taboo? What's that? My favorite perfume. Well, you've got a dresser full of perfume. Taboo, Sabu, Snafu, Sterno. Enough perfume for any woman alive. Look at those bottles. They're all empty, and it's all your fault. You left the corks out, and it evaporated. I leave the cork out of my bourbon, don't I? Well, what about it? That never evaporates. You never give it a chance. I don't see why I should have to do without because of your nasty habits. What do you think makes a thing dry up, John? Wish I knew. Don't be so funny. Oh, I'm not funny. I'm sleepy. You know I worked at the office 18 hours without a let-up? That's what you said you did. That's what I did. I did it for what I thought was a good reason, but now I'm sorry. Why? Forget it. What is it, John? What happened? (gasps) You lost your job. I didn't lose my job. I got two weeks vacation with pay. It's the first vacation I've had in seven years, and I wanted to enjoy it. But no, you wouldn't stand for that, would you? How can you say that, John? Of course I want you to enjoy yourself. Where's the money? In my wallet. Two whole weeks pay. Now, do you mind if I rest? You know, John, I haven't had a vacation either. A change of scene will do us both a world of good. If you're so tired, there's only one thing in the world for you to do. He's doing it. Where did he say that money was? Oh, here it is. Two weeks' pay. Blanche, put that money back. Oh, I I thought you were sleeping, dear. What were you doing with that money? What's the matter, Blanche? I'm not doing anything. I'm just counting it to see if they gave you the right amount. It's the right amount. Put it back and go to sleep. You needn't talk like that. I wasn't going to steal it. Who said you were? Just like you to make a crack like that. I didn't make any cracks at all. Go on. Call the police. Have me arrested. Put me in prison. Nobody's putting you in prison. They'll lock me up in solitary confinement. Rats running all over me in my cell. And I stand helpless, shaking, behind iron bars. No way to escape. Blanche. Oh, why don't you send me a hacksaw, John? You're getting hysterical. Well, don't go accusing me of taking your money. It's half mine anyway. It's all yours. All I want is sleep. I don't see why we can't go away on a vacation for a few days. You go. I told you I'm going to do nothing but sleep for the whole two weeks. You'll have to get up sometime. Not even once. How are you going to collect your unemployment insurance? What unemployment insurance? You're going to be out of work for two weeks. You can't collect unemployment insurance if you've got a job. If you're not working, you haven't got a job, have you? That's different. Why? I don't know why. Nobody does it, that's all. Well, what's the good of unemployment insurance if you don't get any money when you're unemployed? Being on vacation is not the same as being unemployed. Don't tell me. What? Clara's husband, Barney, has never had a job his whole life, and he collects his unemployment check 
every week. He can't collect any checks if he doesn't work. I thought you said they only pay you when you don't work. That's right. But you have to work before you can be out of work so you have a legitimate claim for the money you earned that you don't get. I don't get it. Oh, leave me alone. And I'm telling you now, John, you've got two weeks off and you're going to do one of two things. Do you hear me? I hear you. Either you start collecting your unemployment insurance or else you fill in those two weeks with another job. Another job? This is my vacation. I don't care. It won't hurt you to work those two weeks. And we could use the money. Okay, I'll get another job in the morning. You say it, but you won't do it. Do it now. What? Go on. Get up. Get a job, you loafer. What kind of a job can I get at 2 o'clock in the morning? What's the matter with being a night watchman? I won't do it. I won't do it. You've got no right to deprive me of my two weeks off. I don't care what happens. I won't get another job. All right, then. Promise you'll take me away on a vacation. There's no way out. I promise. Will you swear? Every minute that we're away. I know where we'll go. Lake Tahoe. I'll only have to buy a few more dresses and you can wear your dungarees all the time. Okay. Just tell them you came in from fishing. And if it gets cold, I've got just the thing. Let me show you what I picked up on sale yesterday. I don't want to see it. Just look at this, John. Isn't it stunning? What's so stunning about a bath rug? It's a fur cape, silly. Well, where's the fur? Well, that's the way it's supposed to look. It's the very latest style. Sheared beaver. Sheared beaver? It's been clipped. So have I. You have not. This is worth every penny, John. You know I'm a good judge of furs. Oh, sure. The past two years you bought a bald mink and a plucked skunk. Well, what's wrong with them? The mink stinks and the skunk shrunk. Blanche, how much did you pay for this one? Only $94. $94? Oh, Blanche, you didn't. Get that money back, you hear me? Get that money back. Don't get hysterical. As soon as the... Blanche, how could you do this to me? I deny myself everything. I've been sewing heels on your old pocketbooks and wearing them for shoes. I've been eating the padding out of my overcoat shoulders to save on breakfast cereal. I don't even drink my bourbon anymore. I just chew the cork and hit myself on the head with the bottle. I never spend a nickel on myself. You bought a bag of popcorn yesterday. That wasn't popcorn. My teeth fell out from malnutrition. I'm warning you, Blanche. Blanche, you're not going to get away with it. What do you want? Hello, Bickerson. This is Mr. Guernsey. Yes. uh, Oh, hello, Mr. Guernsey. I hate to be calling you at this hour, Bickerson, but something very urgent has come up. What happened? I just received word that our Chicago plant burned down, and we weren't covered. This morning, I filed bankruptcy proceedings, and I'm closing up for good. What? I trust you'll find a new position, and I do wish you good luck. Well, uh, thanks. By the way, Bickerson, would you mind sending back that two-week salary I gave you? I need every penny I can scrape together. Yeah, um, sure, I'll send it. Uh, goodbye. Well, did you hear that, Blanche? No, what was it? My boss, Mr. Guernsey, I lost my job. (gasps) Wonderful! Wonderful? What's so wonderful about it? Now you can collect your unemployment insurance. Oh, Blanche. Good night, John.
Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. There's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks to my guests today, the author of Have Hope, Reverend Maggie Oman Shannon. And uh, before that, talking with uh, Sumbul Karamali, or Ali Karamali, rather, uh, about her book, uh, Demystifying Sharia, and talking about uh, teen health services with Doug Olson, uh, the chief medical officer for Medicaid and CHIP. Good night, everybody. The program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.